Welcome, everyone, to the CatsCorner.com podcast, CatsCorner.com, your source for new sports. Hi, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CatsCorner.com, coming to you live from the palatial of Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, uh, March the 24th. The Cavaliers' season has ended. They uh, on the on the wrong end of a, um, a tough second half, four-point loss to Ohio in the first round on Saturday night. Uh, the Cavaliers saw their season coming to an end in Bloomington. Um, you know, not long, I guess, after many of us thought their season had already come to an end because of COVID-19. Uh, we will discuss that game and uh, sort of the season as a whole, and then we'll look forward into um, – I used to call it like silly season, but I don't even know when – now it's gone so nuclear. I don't know if you can call transfer season anything like that. Like it's a, it's a whole other animal right now. Before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First, up in Fishersville, David Spence is back on the show. What's going on, my dude? Not much, Fred. You worried about something I might say here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just doing some laundry. I like I like sleeping in nice, clean sheets. There who it is. is on the board at Who Dave's on Twitter. There's a there's a very there's a decent population of folks who know what you're talking about and they laugh, and That's then there's fair. the other folks who have no clue what you mean and they just roll well, right see, on I, past. I that. thought all day how to how to kind of. Make that comment. That's where you, and right. that's where you landed. That's I appreciate I that. I appreciate yep. you not getting any more in depth than that because, uh, you know, I don't want to have to. I don't have to hit the dump uh, button on a podcast. That's Cavs Corner after dark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the Patreon. Um, <laughs> yeah. Up and loud and staff writer Justin Ferber is also on the program. How's it going, my friend? Pretty good. Ready for about an hour of volleyball talk. Um, <laughs> wow. No, no, no. Nope. Probably not. No. Um. Nah. Nah. But uh. Yeah. Welcome to the off season. Um, don't cry because it's over smile because it happened and actually this year that is kind of true because we didn't know if there were going to be seasons but we made it through both so into the unknown again we go i guess at justin underscore Ferber on twitter and Cavs corner also on twitter Cavs underscore corner great place for any game updates may they rest in peace for another 23 weeks or more um content items and the occasional witty banter um Whatever you just said, Ferber, I wanted to write down as a title, but then you then you stopped and you kicked it back to me, and so now I don't know what it was that you said. So I'm having to write down it like a timestamp, but it was something about into the something something we go. But that's such a great way. Whatever it was you said, even though I can't uh, encapsulate it at the moment, it's such a great way to frame the whole thing because, frankly, I thought they were going to beat Ohio. I really thought, even with the pause that you know the lack of practice time and everything, I really thought they were going to win that game. Um, you know, they're up what seven at one point, and it just felt like this is the the place. Unfortunately, with this team all year, whenever they had that place, they never could hit the gas. They always hit a little bit of a wall. And in this game, that's when Vanderplas started hitting threes, and you know, Virginia couldn't buy a bucket, and they went, you know, so long without one. Um, Cavaliers only scored 20 in the first half, 30 in the second. Um, just was not a very good day for basically anybody. Hauser was 4-16 from the floor. Huff was 4-11. of um, Just a rough rough evening for a variety of, uh, of guys. Let's start with just this specific game. Uh, to me, when Virginia went small, um, you know, that was obviously going to have to be a little bit of a chess match between, you know, the two programs. Um, you know, when Virginia went small, I kind of thought, for like I said, for a little while there, it felt like maybe they had a hold of it. Um, and they did, they just couldn't. Um, even though they made it a little bit more interesting in the last couple minutes, um, they really lost that game in that dry spell in the second half. Dave, how 
when you watch this thing unfold, obviously it was a frustrating one uh, and, a, and a rough way to, for the season to end. Were you more uh, frustrated by the loss or were you just happy that they got to play in this thing in the first place? Um, yes. I mean, a little bit of both. Um, look, I felt, I mean, it, it's kind of ironic that our 400th episode recorded last week is going to have me be having a wrong prediction. Um, as <laughs> many prior to that. Well, but I mean, I wasn't worried about Ohio. I thought what Virginia does defensively could really neutralize them. And I think for the most part, I was right not to worry about what Ohio was going to do. I just didn't worry enough about what UVA was going to do. Um, you know, when, when UVA was good this year, the, the threes were falling and they were, when the threes fell, it kind of opened them up to do some other things, but the games, the threes didn't fall early. They, they, if anything became more one dimensional trying to get the next one to fall. And I, that felt like what happened in that game. Um, and it was, it, you know, I think the game itself was kind of a microcosm of the season. Like you saw flashes of what could have been like, there were great pieces and they just, you know, it, <laughs> they, they just didn't all fit well together. Right. Like it was, you know, Sam Hauser had a great year and you know, he had gotten to the point leading into the Ohio game where when he shot, it felt automatic and obviously wasn't so much in that game. And, you know, Jay had a had a really good career, assuming you know, he doesn't shock the world and come back. Um, but, you know, I think in that game, you kind of saw what was lacking from his game was the, the ability to kind of post up and dominate a smaller, you know, he was on a, on a smaller guy for much of the time who was more physical than Jay. And despite that, we never really were able to capitalize on post position and easy buckets. Um, and then, you know, the, the guard play, just kind of being what it is really great defensively and, you know, like sporadic offensively. Um, unfortunately a little too sporadic when the team needed them, um, in a tight spot. So like, it was a tough year. I don't take that away from anyone. And we've talked about it multiple times during the season, but I think the way Virginia plays offense and defense, it makes it very difficult for your team to progress when you're unable to practice in a normal fashion. Like, that defense, even though it's five dudes guarding their guy, it's still one unit, like reacting and, and everything. You know, you you help recover, help recover. It, it's hard to work on that if you can't practice normally. Um, even if your practice is only 50% of normal. I mean, we, we've heard stories in the past, like Tony spending entire practices without practicing offense. Um, it's really hard to do when you have to keep social distancing in mind. Um, and then offensively, I think, you know, Certainly when you're running block remover, there's some of that too. And then you combine just the pieces they had this year. I think if anything, yeah. look, it was a good season. Like you can't, I'm not going to become a fan that says, Hey, an ACC regular champ season championship, regardless of how it happened is anything to like look down your nose at. And technically they didn't lose a game in the ACC tournament. Um, unfortunately they just, you know, with the delay and with whatever happened between the ACC tournament and NCAA tournament, it kind of, I mean, that Ohio game is, is kind of a great summation of what we saw when they were bad this year. And just unfortunately at the worst time. Ferber, Virginia is on a seven to two run going into the under 16 timeout. Um, from that point forward, uh, they may, they didn't have a field goal for another 10 minutes and 10 seconds. Um, that, that means the game went from 38, 31. And by the time, uh, Beekman scores to make it 47-42 with 4.26 to go. Um, I think it's safe to say that 
most of us knew their their goose was cooked. Dave said that you know that's a real microcosm for the season, and I gotta say I completely agree. Um, coming out of that game, is that how it looked to you? That basically this was Virginia season in a nutshell. When the when the three pointers fall, they're a different team. When they don't fall, they don't know how to. Um, like I said before, they don't know how to grab the thing and hold on to it. What were your your thoughts and and feelings coming out of this one? I mean, I, the game just didn't go the way that I thought it would go. I, I thought that, you know, we talked about it last week on the show. I thought that Ohio was dangerous for UVA because I thought that they were going to come out and just pull shots. And they have guys that can make tough shots, the guys that can shoot threes. Preston can score in the lane and make threes. And that's why I was like, if this team comes out aggressive, I mean, we've seen UVA sort of be a step slow in some situations and not be able to, you know, overcome early runs from teams. NC State game comes to mind. Um, and and it, this game didn't really unfold that way. I thought Ohio was like pretty conservative until the end. Um, and I was sort of baffled by it. I was like, did they realize that, you know, like they're going to have to take some contested shots at some point against the pack line? Um and eventually they just started doing that and they started hitting them. And it's funny because, you know, how many times a year do we have to hear announcers say, you know, against Virginia, a 10 point deficit feels like 20 or whatever. For me, you know, when UVA got down by, I want to say it was five after they had been up seven, like you said, Brad, like, I think when they were down five, I was like, man, this is over. Like, they're not going to win this game. And it was still, you know, plenty of time left and they did kind of creep back in, but um, it just didn't feel like a game they were going to win. And, um, I think that one of the reasons I felt like UVA might be in trouble in this game was because you look at Ohio and, you know, you look at their metrics and it says, oh, this team's pretty good on offense or really good on offense and not good on defense, which is partially true. But a lot of that is because, you know, those metrics aren't, they don't take into account like change over time. Like it's just the whole season predictive metrics thrown together. So like, you know, they were pretty bad early in the season. They were like four and four or four and five or something. And then they got hot and they played a lot better. Um, and then, you know, also like their two point defense was like their biggest weakness. And UVA, it doesn't take advantage of that against anybody. Like they don't go to the lane. They don't have guys that get in the lane. So I was like, well, it'll just come down to how many threes they make. And I, I thought UVA would make enough to win. You know, I picked them to win. And, and early on in the game, I was like, okay, they look pretty good. And I was a little worried about how their legs would be coming out of the gate just because of the the time off. And we don't, we'll never really know how much that time off hurt them in this game. But yeah, I, th I think that it came down to UVA just didn't make enough shots. And um, when the game got tight last year, you know, they were able to kind of pull through a lot of these. And even this year, they've done it a few times. Um, but this one just didn't go their way. And you play enough games like that where you're, you know, trying to hang on by a thread at the end, eventually it's not going to go your way. Um, and this one didn't. And, and yeah, you're right. I mean, the first thing that I sort of thought when the game ended was like, wow, this team really just never really got to where we thought they were going to be. Um, and that doesn't mean they weren't pretty good. I mean, they ended up as a four seed ACC regular season champs. Like Dave said, that's not nothing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was looking at the AP preseason top 10 just to kind of see how everybody else did. And, you know, like half the teams in that in that group ended up being really good. Gonzaga, Baylor, Iowa, um, Villanova still playing, even though they were a little bit of a disappointment at times. Um, and then, you know, UVA was in there and obviously their season didn't go the way they thought and Kentucky and Duke. And, you know, it, it just the group never really came together. And, you know, you guys are talking about like the COVID stuff. And obviously every team had to deal with that. 
I don't know. I mean, we'll never, there's no way to really know. I mean, how much of it was that and how much of it was like, maybe this group, um, and we can kind of get, break it down, I guess, but like how much this group was sort of overrated by their depth when maybe not all the pieces fit together in a way that makes like a really good Tony Bennett team. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think what's interesting in this game, you know, Virginia gets out rebounded pretty substantially or, um, well, maybe not substantially, pretty solidly. Um, you know, not a whole lot of difference in terms of um, second chance points. Actually, Virginia had more. And Virginia actually had a ten to nothing advantage in 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 fast break points. Right. So when's the last time Virginia lost a game where, where they had more second chance points and more fast break points? Right. Um, but it's the it's the I fact feel like that Virginia, it was this year. <laughs> I'm sure it was. But you, yeah. but that's actually that actually speaks to my larger point. But here's the other thing: twenty six to eighteen, Ohio with an advantage of points in the paint. Now I I'm not I'm not going to be one of these people who says like oh if you're mid major, you know your team whatever whatever. But listen, Virginia can't sh- should not ever be outscored in the paint by a a, a team um, from a non power five league. Right. I think that's I don't think that that's I mean, they like they, they have a national championship pedigree. They play in one of the premier conferences in America. Right. Like that. That if 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 your minimum is not, you know, if you're if your floor is not that guy kind of thing. Um, Ferber's point about their two point defense and Virginia not being able to take advantage is, is so spot on. Um, Cavaliers shot 31 threes in this game. Now, some of that has to do with what guys took late. And I understand that. Um, but one of the things that dogged this team all season long, we can talk now, I think, about probably best if we, you know, we don't drive any other listeners away talking about this game, but in, in the big picture, right? What I saw from this team from the start, not only did it not really materialize, but I also think that in the end, in all of the places where you know, it was two roads diverged in a yellow wood. It always went the wrong way, right? So Ferber mentioned depth. I don't know if we necessarily overrated the depth as much as the depth kind of managed to make itself just not a part of the story. Uh, the illnesses to Statman and to, to Shedrick um, were, for, for in essence, devastating to this team. They never really recovered from not having those pieces. You know, Wolda Tensai was... You know, kind of an afterthought for most of the season. Uh, Casey Morcel didn't really play a lot, and when he did, you know, he was kind of helter skelter, um, which is you know somewhat to be expected when you when you really don't get a lot of consistent PT. Heck, in this game, there were several times where I thought he was saving their bacon. Um, you know, he was uh, he had some decent moments. Um, you know, he hits that three when they're up seven. I mean, who knows what happens um, from that point forward? Um, but. In, in the in the in the final analysis of, of Virginia basketball this season, I I think ultimately the pairing of, of Hauser and Huff, while at times could be lightning in a bottle, right? There's a reason that you call it lightning in a bottle, right? Because you can't replicate it. And when they, when they weren't hitting like they weren't in this game, um, you know, it's 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 just incredibly difficult for Virginia to score points when you have those two positions being those two specific guys and you're pairing them with guards who aren't necessarily guys who, who shoot it 
with you know any propensity, right? In this game, Clark is one of four from three. Beekman is zero for two. Um, you know, definitely Kihei has hit some some threes, and um, you know, think back to the title run. If he doesn't hit some of those against Oregon, I mean, who knows where they are, right? But realistically, like this was a bad pairing um, that materialized in part because Virginia didn't have the other pieces to sort of put with it. I, I don't think the plan was really ever to play Clark and Beekman together, but that ultimately ended up being their best option um, from an offensive and defensive standpoint. Um, if I had my druthers and I could, you know, wave the magic wand and whatnot, you know, I think ultimately they probably would have been better off if they had been able to play those guys separately, or at least if the minutes that they played together had not been so, so plentiful. Um, you know, another shooter next to Clark, as we saw in 2019, and as we've you know discussed on the message board, I think that makes that makes his skill set fit even better. You know, a bouncier four man um, really helps Huff, and I think a um, you know a more physical um, five, a more athletic five would really help Hauser. Um, it, it's it just in, if you think about it, all of these pieces. They they don't fit, but it's off just it's just off enough. It's not drastic, but it's like just enough that none of the pieces seem to fit together to make a whole. And certainly to Dave's point earlier about you know playing the pack line, like they didn't have the time to be the phalanx that the pack line requires you to be, right? Like dudes didn't necessarily always know where they were moving as a group, right? That was never this team's mo. And the nights that they played well defensively were because you got good individual performances that all happened to play together. And so to, to, to borrow another one of Dave's podcast phrases, it, they were on defense a series of sentences. They were not a paragraph. And that's not a thing that has worked for Virginia basketball historically. So now that I'm yeah. invoking Dave's phrase, I should <laughs> kick it back to him. When you look back on it, how, how do you kind of frame the whole thing, Dave? I mean, I think as a season as a whole, it's a good one, right? I mean, uh, I'm, in, I'm in my 40s. Uh, I've seen lots of bad basketball. This wasn't terrible basketball. It just wasn't up to the, the heights we have seen recently. Um, look, after the first, you know, after the next two rounds, you know, um, what, Saturday, Sunday, whatever the days they're playing this week, you know, after they play the Sweet 16 games, there's going to maybe be eight teams at the end of this year who don't look back and say, man, this was our problem, right? That's that's the beauty of college basketball. There, it, and so if you if you make it to the tournament, everyone except for one is going to lose. Um, and those those fan bases are going to look back at that team and say, "What what was the reason they didn't win?" Um, look, it, it wasn't a an elite Virginia team on the floor this year, but they were good, and yeah, they just weren't great. So I mean, I, I feel kind of bad, like, and I, I found myself doing it, even even at the end of the game. I was like, man, it just wasn't. You know, this team never really got to what I thought their potential could be. Um, and that's frustrating. But, you know, I mean, I, I do think it's worth noting that they were still a an above average team, if not very good team, on the when you compare them to their peers, right? Um, they just weren't an elite team. I mean, heck, Virginia took an elite team to the 2018 team, to the 2018 tournament. We saw what happened there, and that was just with one dude missing, right? I mean, that team still had a lot of talent. Um, it's look, the tournament is a very you you've seen how many upsets there are. So if you judge your your program success on the NCAA tournament, more often than not, you're gonna be disappointed. Um so I do think we should 
acknowledge that and kind of see it from a, you know, step back and, and, and enjoy the rod we've been on. That said, like, yeah, I think there's some lessons we learned from this team and, and how it's put together. Um, you know, I think, you know, with 10 plus years of data now, you kind of know if you look at the very best Virginia teams, there's one thing to me that's most important, and that's the springy four. You know, the Kill Mitchell, the <laughs> the Mamadi, the, the guy who can guard a four, guard a three, guard a five, and maybe isn't necessarily a threat offensively. Um, but if you can hold a team to the 50s and 60s and got other, you know, and have other pieces around them, that's a, a great tool. Um, one of our concerns going into this season was what do you do when, when a team has a wing? Like, who's your shutdown defender? And I don't think one really emerged this year outside of Beekman. Beekman's a really good defender, but you know, he doesn't have Malcolm Brogdon's length or certainly not you know, Mamadi or Achilles length. So he's, he's going to be more of a Devin Hall, like shutting down the guards, right? Small threes. Um, so I think that's one thing Virginia definitely has to, to almost always have in the pipeline, even if it means taking chances on guys that aren't highly rated recruits who, if you watch the tournament, we, we, I know we got, we talked about this in our text thread, you watch these other teams and there's so many of those dudes out there on these other teams that aren't very good offensively and, you know, like on last year's team, wouldn't have made a lot of sense. But if you can surround them with the offensive guys that Virginia has proven they could find, uh, I think it <laughs> the pack line is definitely bettered by it, if not dependent on it. Yeah, I think one of the things this year from my, my takeaway is that um, I think that this team, you mentioned, you know, this season overall, like in the grand scheme of things, is not a bad season. And you're right. I mean, I think we lose that perspective sometimes that think about like what a pit fan would think about this season, right? After what they've been through. <laughs> I'm just picking on pit. But no, like, that's you a good know, point. Like, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Like Georgia Tech, they're celebrating their season like it was the greatest thing that's ever happened. Other teams made videos about their seasons that weren't as good as ours. Right. Yeah. Thanks for having uh, us. Not, they got knocked out in the first <laughs> right. round, like the first yeah, game, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like in the grand scheme of things, I think that that is important to keep in perspective. And I think sometimes in a UVA situation, you can become a victim of your own success um, in the expectations. Like you think about Duke and Kentucky teams. I mentioned that were in the AP top 10 this year. Um, like they, they were rolling out a bunch of new guys. And the only reason that they were, they were ranked that high is because they consistently end up near there. Like, you know what? Like people feel okay putting them there in their preseason poll because they're used to them being there. And I think we've reached that point with UVA where it's like, Teams are just people are going to expect certain things from from UVA teams, and one is going to be just winning a lot of games. And they maybe didn't reach that plateau this year. Um, Eighteen and seven is like a fine season for UVA, but not nearly as good as some others that they've had. Um, but I think, you know, I think that the reason their expectations were so high is because we just expected that the defense would be elite because it always is. And I think we learned this year, or I did, that you can't take that for granted. Um, if you had told me in the preseason that they would have finished 34th in defensive efficiency, I would have been pretty surprised. Um, and they could end up lower, I guess, because the tournament's still going. Like, yeah, you know, that's that's not where we would expect them to be. And with that said, I mean, if you look at their individual losses, I don't. I think it's easy to say like the defense wasn't as good as it normally is, and that's why they lost a lot of these games. I, I think that's true for some games. I don't think that's true for this game. Like, they gave up 62 points. Like they they had it there, they just didn't make the shots. 
Um, and I think when you have a team that's completely dependent on the three, um, you know, you better have more than two guys that can shoot or three, um, two when Huff is in foul trouble. Um, and I think that that's something that, you know, the, the big lessons from this season, like, I know that we, we, I definitely agree on the four. I think that they need to go out and find somebody that can fit that role and hopefully somebody that can score too, at least at like a mommy kind of level, um, or maybe like a Darian Atkins level. But I, I don't think you can get by in college basketball playing Reese Beekman and Kihei Clark as your backcourt for long periods of time, unless you have absolutely elite talent at other positions. Go through the teams in the Sweet 16 now and find me the teams that don't have most of their scoring coming from the backcourt. Like, you're not going to find them because that's where people score points. Like guys that can shoot guys that can get in the lane. Big guys are there to rebound, play defense and and chip in. And then you have the occasional like Luca Garza, Drew Timmy type player. That's elite. Um, but there's a reason that most of the players that are the top college basketball players are guards. Um, and, and UVA has two point guards out there playing together. One who's a freshman who I think is going to be a very good player. Um, you know, who's just kind of offensively limited at this time or just hasn't quite figured it out. And I think he started to kind of figure it out at the end of the season a little bit. Um, and then Kihei, who, you know, we've, we've talked at length about his skill set limitations, et cetera. I mean, I think he brings a lot to the table, but I, I, I don't think he can be like your primary guard scorer. Um, and, and, and I think that that kind of put them in a bind in some of these games. And, you know, I think last thing just I think the recruiting between the 2016 class that won the national title including Huff who just left um and now I think I mean you you gotta to play at a level that UVA played at to get to the national championship you have to have more Kyle guys and Ty Jerome's and less misses and to be honest with you some of the guys they've gotten have been ranked four-star guys and it just hasn't worked out so far. Doesn't mean it won't eventually. And then other times, you know, they took some flyers on guys late. Um, guys, like you know, I'm, I'm just going to name them. But like Statman and Badoki, guys from other countries where it's like harder to evaluate guys. Um, maybe they're not ranked. Maybe they don't have offers. That doesn't mean they can't be good. But I think if you, if you take too many risks like that or like too many, let's see if this guy pans out over four years, it's going to come back to haunt you eventually. The transport portal can help with that, but as we've seen, and as Davis said a lot of times, it, it takes a year before a lot of players are able to really master UVA's offense and defense. So, I mean, even in the in the transfer portal, it's not like necessarily going to be, you know, an easy automatic fix. And I think that they'll do well in the transfer portal, but, um, you know, you have to supplement that with really good high school talent as well. Yeah, I think this is a, a good spot to... Maybe throw out some disclaimers here. Um, so as we enter transfer season, I wrote a, uh, a thing about this on Monday. Um, it, it's in everybody's best interest. If, if, you, if you can hear the sound of my voice, you should know that there are likely going to be players who leave Virginia. There are going to be players who leave everywhere. Okay, Everybody is going to be impacted by the transfer portal, the transfer season, um, more this year than they ever have for two main reasons. One is the NCAA essentially giving everybody a free year of eligibility because of the pandemic. And then two, allowing transfers to play right away. Now it's going to be 
in, in consultation with my co-host here, we've decided that we're not going to speculate on who's going to leave. But we all think that there are multiple guys who, if you had to, you know, if you put a gun to my head right now, I would tell you are likely to leave. That's okay, right? The situation has changed. And when it eventually happens, I do not want anybody to freak out, okay? Um, because every spot that opens up, even if it's a guy who maybe you thought was was going to have a lot of, um, you know, had a lot of potential or is going to have a lot of success, every spot that opens up allows Virginia to go get somebody else. There's just a re-sort of ordering of not just a guard, but of everybody, right? Every, every, every deck of every boat is getting shifted around. Um, and that's just the reality of the situation this year. So we're not gonna we're not gonna go into specifics on okay, what does it look like if it's this and who, what we you know what about that until guys make their decisions known, until they say hey, I'm leaving or hey I'm coming to UVA. Then we'll get into it. Now I will tell you twofold as I've mentioned on the board. One, I think they have to add one if not two bouncy bigs. And frankly, I've been thinking about this. Darion Atkins was not necessarily bouncy but he was tough as shit okay and that I mean it, it whatever whatever like whatever the meter was for him in terms of athleticism I don't think I would ever call him like bouncy but he was certainly not not, not like unathletic right but his physicality it it made him more athletic if that makes sense right it 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 sort of it lessened whatever that gap was Virginia needs a dude like that and I think they need two of them um, not because I think like, oh, this big man is going to do this. Or, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about options, right? I, I forget who said it earlier, but essentially Virginia basketball can't work if that spot is not producing with regularity. Like you need a guy who can cover space. You need a guy who can cover mistakes. You need a guy who can scramble. You need a dude who can rebound and you need toughness in the post. This was, and I don't mean this is any shade. I mean, Tony himself said it, so I mean, I guess I can't really get in trouble for it. But like, this was one of the the mo- the least physical teams that I've ever seen Virginia put on the floor, at least of the Tony Bennett era. I think it's probably the 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 the, the most finesse, the most uh, likely to to you know to lose a fifty fifty ball. That kind of stuff matters when defense is your calling card, right? What Virginia had this year was a group that offensively had potential just off the chart and we saw that right out of the gate they never got back to that right they never had a game from that point forward where all of the pieces sort of fit together and they were just hotter than the than a knife through butter right but the thing we all expected to see because you always see it with Virginia is that toughness factor that eventually as the season wears on they get better even if they don't always start there and this one was up and down you know they never could get stops when they mattered most and that's why I think Above all else, they're going to need some bouncy bigs, some athletic dudes to bring into the program. I would say beyond that, if you think about next year's roster, at least even as it is projected right now, the thing that matters most to me, and we've talked about this before, is scoring. Who's who's going to score, right? Like, where, where where's the burden going to fall? Virginia needs a dude who can take the ball to the rim, off the bounce, create for himself, create for others, I don't care what size he is. I don't care. I frankly don't even care how much he, how be, how well he can shoot. Can he score? Right, like that by itself is such an integral skill right now. You've got to be able to just take people to the rack. 
Um, you got to be able to finish through contact. You got to be, you, you got to be able to score. And that's something this team desperately needed. The fact that they played this team in the NCAA tournament, I, I understand short, you know, whole issue with quarantine and not practicing. And I get that. Right. But you knew what their stuff was, right? Virginia had a better feel probably for Ohio's system than any game that they probably ever prepared for, right? Because they didn't have anything else to do, literally, other than prepare for it. And they just physically could not, they could not cash in on the advantage that Ohio was more than willing to give them. That's problematic on, on a number of fronts. So if, as, we, as we all move forward into this whole nuclear spring, um, man, I, I might, I might, that's a good title. Um, I, I just feel like you know, a couple bigs and a score. Everything else, you know, you can look at the way pieces fit together and who's who's doing what. And certainly, after exit interviews happen, um, you know, presumably, you know, that's when the rubber will meet the road. But above all else, those are the things. And there are lots of dudes on the wire right now who fit everything I just said. I mean, there are a lot of guys, guys Virginia recruited before, guys guys that Virginia's played against, guys that they have neither played against nor recruited, but still would fit. They're everywhere. And um, I feel like for Virginia, for not just next year's team, but the ones beyond it, um, you know, it's all about the talent you bring in. And certainly if you gave Virginia season to Pitt, they would be very happy with that. Unfortunately, that's not where Virginia is right now. Expectations are a certain level. Tony Bennett expects, you know, now that he's built his program to where it is, that they don't have these, these lulls, so to speak. So for me, it's multiple, it's multiple bouncy bigs, um, presumably with you know a, a good amount of athleticism and, and physicality, and then a guy who can score, just a flat out bucket getter, just a dude you can hand the ball to, so that your five foot five point guard isn't the only one who wants the ball late in the shot clock to go to the rack. Yeah, and I think you have to be able to score in in more ways. Like I think that's what, kind of what I was trying to say too. Like if you know Sam Hauser was a great addition from the transfer portal, and Trey Murphy was a great addition from the transfer portal. Um, and Murphy obviously has the ability to score around the rim, but all of his points are on around the rim were dunks. Like, um, so in a sense, him and Hauser are sort of the same guy. Like, I mean, they, they just, you know, shoot spot up three point shooters, you know, occasional mid range, um, maybe a layup every once in a while, but like pure outside shooters almost. And, you know, the other guys around them, if you're going to have guys like that, you're going to have guys that can get to the rim. And, I think that's what we've seen it now. Like we've seen how it can work. I mean, you think about the teams, the best UVA teams that they've had um, under Tony. I mean, the championship team, Kyle and Ty were great. And even Dre were great three point shooters, but they could get to the rim and score. They could get to the free throw line and score. Um, you know, it wasn't just like, I never saw them play and we're like, man, we're really relying on the three. Like, you know, like it just didn't feel like that. Um, and then, you know, before that, you know, the Brogdon teams, Brogdon could get in the lane and score yet. Anthony Gill, obviously around the rim, um, Joe Harris could shoot, but he could get to the rim too. And obviously those guys are pros. Like, um, you expect them to be able to do that. And I'm not saying you have to have a team full of pros, but you probably have to have some pros. Um, and you know, I don't, I think that this team has some talented, had some talented guys and it was just too much of the same thing and not enough of. Uh, the other thing and um, I think that they'll be fine you know going forward I, I'm not I think there was definitely like you said some lessons from this season but um, at the end of the day I think that Tony knows what they need and, and 
based on what we've seen, you know, like the players that they seem to be interested in in the transfer portal, um, it seems like they're kind of on the same page as what we're saying right here. Yeah, and and for me, like, I mean, if you want to list my top three, um, well, if I want to list my 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 top three wishes for the off season, um, honestly, and you guys might argue with me, my my number one number one goal is to improve the defense. Um, I know like everyone kind of rolls their eyes. Like when we lose a game 50, you know, 62 to 58 and Tony's first comment in the pros game was we just weren't good enough. We didn't get enough stops. Right. But that is true. Like it, it is much easier to get a team together. Like the way we play ball it is much easier to get a more elite defense to hold a team to 60 and under than it is to find enough scores to average six to eight points more per game um and not you know and not make the defense suffer the way we play it so um and i think you know brad nailed it it's it's bouncy bigs and it's what we're talking about earlier it's a lockdown wing and you know if if murphy returns it it could be him like like i mean i think we're murphy in some ways i think what we saw from murphy this year and and look i don't know if he's coming back next year brad hit on it We, we don't know who's coming back next year um you know they're if he does come back next year, I think we could see a big step forward for him because to me, what we saw from Murphy was what we would have seen from Dre if he didn't redshirt. Um, to me, they, they have very similar personalities, and you guys feel welcome to jump in and tell me you think I'm full of it. But I was kind of thinking about it today um, in my you know mental pregame podcast prep. Was it kind of blows my mind that like two who I think I think DeAndre Hunter and and Trey Murphy might be two of the most athletically gifted players Virginia's had, you know, during the Tony Bennett era, but both of them kind of have beta personalities, right? Neither one of them want to just go like dunk on you. You know, Dre didn't turn it on until late in that tournament run. And when he did, he was almost unstoppable. Yeah. And and you see Trey, when he turns it on, like he's got that, he's got the ability. Like I thought he couldn't dribble. And like when he wants to, he can. Um, so defensively, I think we just saw what we've seen from Dre if he didn't redshirt. So I do think his defense would improve. So he might end up being the, the wing guy, but we definitely need look, it does like Akil Mitchell by his senior year was absolutely elite. Like I think he averaged like 16 points a game on top of it. Um Darion, someone like that. You just need someone who, you know, is, is able to defend defend the post block some shots and is also able to go hedge the screen and if he gets switched or for some reason able to stay in front of a smaller guard enough for the defense to recover and a couple of those dudes will be great i want to jump in here real quick on the hedge yeah i think one of the things that uva because they didn't have that team shot the ball better against them because of it. Oh, yeah. And I think that that is directly related to like the pack line was actually perfectly suited and perfectly positioned to be a, a headache for teams, right? In a time when the three point shot was about to explode, be specifically because the way that they play the, the screen and the way that guys, you know, um, the way it frustrates shooters, even though they seem to get looks, right, is it just throws everything off a little bit, right? Not being able to do that this year and, and, you know, specifically choosing to sort of sag off, it allowed guys to shoot it, you know, more cleanly, even if it did at times 
allow you know Virginia to block more shots. In in the end, you know, advantage to the offense, and I feel like that's something they got to get back to. They got to be able to switch screens. They got to be you know what I'm saying. They got to have more activity yeah. on them. And frankly, if you look back at the most successful UVA teams, it's the ones where they had multiple guys who could do that, multiple guys who could who could defend multiple positions. And you look at like the way these guys sort of paired together. And again, I'm not banging on them. I'm not I'm not asking them to be anybody they're not, but I'm just talking about the totality of circumstances. Like there were there were dudes who could who could defend multiple positions, but they were fewer and farther between on this team than we're used to seeing. And I feel like that's that's, you know, today's point. Like I agree. You if you the, there's a reason I said bouncy bigs, you know, bouncy forwards before I said score. Um because I don't think you can get better if you're a Virginia, if your defense doesn't get better, I am also very concerned about how they, they score points next year. And if I'm a guy out there right now who is looking at the the landscape, you know, there are a lot of shots in Charlottesville to take. Somebody's going to get those shots. Somebody's going to get those opportunities. And we're and not frankly, just talking about the ones from the mayor. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and frankly, Tony has shown he's more than happy to run different stuff. Like he's not, yeah. you know, he runs some five out. He'll run you know, this and that, you know, it doesn't always have to be blocker mover. He'll run, you know, Deandre showed it. Okay, cool. Let's, let's, let's spread it out and let him go to work. Um, you know, I feel like they've shown that they will do that. The question is they got to get the talent to fit it. I think yeah. UVA has got to be one of the best transfer destinations right now. Like for the players that they are interested in, you know, I'm not you, saying that they're going to get think. everybody, Yeah, but, but I mean, and the thing that, you know, it, it kind of cuts both ways though, because it's like, okay, you know, you're looking at Hauser and Murphy and and I don't think either nobody neither of those guys were projected to be like lottery picks or anything, but um you know, they both kinda Murphy obviously was gonna redshirt, but kind of slow starts and then they played better um at the end of the season, I guess. Murphy was sort of hot and cold. Um, but Hauser definitely improved throughout the season and I don't know how that is viewed for transfers, but I mean, we've seen them like do exceptionally well in the transfer market. I mean Braxton Key, Anthony Gill, Hauser, uh, and then Murphy, obviously, you know, he was a little bit further down the board, but those are guys that were like the top available transfers. Austin Nichols, like they can get transfers. It's just, you know, the competition is going to be crazy. But I think that UVA, like you, like we said, Brad, I think there's a lot of shots available. And I think um, if you're going from like a place where I'll just pick Kellen Grady because I know he's a name that UVA fans have brought up a lot. If you're him and you're like, all right, what do I want to do for my last year? You get a chance to sort of get coached by a guy that's put a guy, a lot of guys in a league, potentially become a better defender. And, you know, you know that you're going to be an alpha on the team. Like you, you have a chance to come in and be a big impact right away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think the transfer market is going to be weird, right? Cause you're going to have a lot of teams who aren't normally heavy in the transfer market in it. Um, Kentucky's Duke's those guys. North Carolina's um, whole team. Yeah, Carolina <laughs> for sure. Like, so it'll be nice. But it, yeah, there's so much talent out there. You know, look, there's only so many Power Five destinations. Virginia should hopefully, you know, get someone that'll fit the fit the bill. Um, yeah, I think the other flaw with this team. Look, I mean, we we talked several times about the reliance on the three, right? Look, a lot of teams rely on the three. I think Virginia's issue was the same thing that made it cool when it was working was it was the big guys making it. That's also the problem when it's not, when they're not making it. Cause then you got three big guys outside the lane. Who's rebound? Like it's a one and done possession, right? So I, I think you've got to get a guard 
who can shoot better from three. Um, so that'd be my, you know, improving the defense, especially at three, four, a couple of bouncy bigs, finding a guard who can fill it up um, just to take the pressure off Kihei or Reese or whoever is running the point. Um, yeah. I think, I think it'll both make both of them better players. And then the third thing for me is like, like the, the transfer thing is good, but I think UVA needs to look at their recruiting model. And this is not a bash on Tony or anyone else, but if you, I think you brought it up, Brad. Like if you look at the last great class was the one that won us a national title, right? Like, you know, Dre, Ty, Kyle, and, and Jay, but it, you can make an argument that Virginia's only had two hits since then. And that's Kihei Clark and Reese Beekman. Everyone else is still on the fence. And you know, Reese is still only one year in, and you've got people arguing about Kihei. So, yeah. But for the most part, everyone else they've recruited hasn't done a whole lot. And that's really concerning. We're five yeah, I mean, years I, out from that class, right? Yeah. yeah I, I mean, think, they've had too many misses, I feel like. That's yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. And I mean, like watching the tournament, you know, I, I remarked to you guys, like, man, it's weird. <laughs> like, it seems like every game I was watching, there were like two dudes that UVA was like seriously with. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, look at like and, Michigan's roster yeah. and places like that. It's like, man, I know all these guys. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, right. I've talked. You know, like I, I've interviewed him and I've interviewed him and oh yeah, I used to talk to him and oh I watched him. You know, at, at these events. Here's the other thing to today's point about um, recruiting, right? So, it, recruiting is in and itself is weird because there is no like except for maybe quarterback recruiting. There's nothing that compares to just the general sort of like clear path to playing time um, that you have to have, especially if you're Virginia, right? Let's be real about something. One of the reasons that that 2016 class was so good was because they were coming off success, right? They just kind of won their first ACC tournament and, you know, they had, they had it cooking a little bit and then they still had that big class, right? And that big class was, was going to come free and all the space was going to be available, right? One of the reasons why this recent class with Reese and Jabri and Carson McCorkle, one of the reasons why that class was seen as being pretty good is because they were coming into situations where there was expected playing time, right? Now, UVA in the offseason added Trey Murphy, and then he got to play right away, which changed the, the calculus a little bit. Though The in-between classes, the issue is not necessarily that they were small. The issue is that they did not bring in guys who were difference makers, and Virginia, I don't think at this point in where things are, should be bringing in dudes that are not going to be di- difference makers, right? Um, you know, remember back when Kafaro played in that tournament, uh, the um, I forget what it's, I forget like which a one FIBA it was, tournament or something. Yeah, it was yeah, and he and he was just dominating. Well, like that's because those teams were all stacked with like you know multiple bigs, and every team played that way. But he and he did play pretty well against the American team, which had Baycoat and I can't remember who the other bigs were but like in in general virginia has not in those classes that were not like the big you know headline makers they just haven't had got brought in difference makers now in this next class we, we don't know how good tane murray's going to be but but we know with some pretty good certainty that not only is isaac mckinley a guy that or excuse me mcneely a guy that Tony really likes, but he's a guy that fits the mold of what a really good class of Virginia looks like, which is like close him out early, build around him. And heck, by the and time that was something t- they did with that 2016 class. I mean, exactly. they got Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome early. Look, like, everybody forgets Ty Jerome was a child, right? Yeah. I remember people asking me like, "Hey, can you get a different picture of him because he looks 12?" <laughs> right? And, and 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 like everybody thinks of Kyle coming first, but Ty was first. Like it, they were 
early, early, right? Um, this is good for Virginia when they do this, right? When Tony fi- finds a guy. Now, how this is all this whole thing has been impacted be, by the pandemic and not being able to recruit, you know, not be able to excuse me to evaluate. Like that's a train that's on the track that you can't stop, right? People are like, oh, Tony should just offer more guys. Well, the reality is, is that what it's caused him to do is to really focus in on the dudes he really, really wants. And that might actually end up being a very good thing. It's like, instead of forcing him to go the way you want him to go, I mentioned earlier, two roads and a yellow wood, right? He's taken the other path. It's like he's dug in and it actually helped with Isaac McNeely, right? Will it help with Trout? Will it help with other guys in that class? Well, that remains to be seen. But the bottom line is the same, which is like, they've got to recruit at a higher level with more consistency. It can't just be this big group, years, years, lulls, another big group. Um, and that's nothing. That's no disrespect to anybody they brought in during that time period. The fact of the matter, though, is that those guys have not made a difference. And there's a reason why Virginia's in a, in a spot right now where they're really having to look at the transfer markets because those years did not bear the type of fruit and, you know, as Bronco would say, the yield that they were expected to. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's... It just right on its face. I mean, you can, I'm not going to go through and like call people out, but like if you go through those classes since the last, and we said this at the time, like, you know, I remember we had these conversations, maybe not on this podcast where we're being recorded, but you know, we were like, uh, it, it, does Tony like, under, like if he were, makes this work, you know, that's going to be insane when they had Kihei Clark, Cody Statman. And was there somebody else? Was that Kafaro in that group too? Yeah. Um, he was in I there. can't remember. You know, it was just three guys that were just like off the radar. And obviously, Kihei was a hit, or at least, you know, over, you know, surpassed the expectations that most recruiting people had. Um, and, you know, the other two guys have barely done anything. And I think, you know, not only, I, I think you're right. I mean, the difference maker thing for me, it's like scoring. Like the guys that they've brought in since then have not been scorers. Um, and, you know, I mean, and, and they're obviously not like the best defenders either, because then Tony would probably be playing them more. I don't know. Like, I just don't, I don't know. And Jabri, you know, we'll see, you know, what happens with him. And I think that, you know, he could end up if he stays, assuming he stays, you know, like he could end up having like a DeAndre Hunter kind of career where he comes in in his second year, third year and blows up. Um, because he had a lot of what the things we said that they needed this year and he didn't play. So clearly, I mean, Tony knows what he's doing as far as development of players and all that. But then there's this calculus going on in the background, right? Where it's like, you were just talking about access to playing time. Like if you're recruiting and you're like, okay, I don't want to overpromise this guy. And then he have him now have the access to the transfer portal where he can leave immediately and go play somewhere else. You know, if he has one year that he doesn't like, he might be gone where that might not have been the case in the past. But then at the same time, you're thinking like, well, if he goes, I can get somebody else like from the transfer portal. So I don't really know how that all shakes out in the calculus, but um, I we'll see how it works for UVA. But, you know, as we've seen, their best teams have been when they have a core of guys in the system for a while. Like the 2014, 2015, 2016 run, you had Joe Harris, Akil Mitchell playing years in the system. And then by the 2016 team, you had senior Mike Toby. Um, senior Malcolm Brog, fifth year senior Malcolm Brogdon, fourth year player at UVA Anthony Gill. If you include the year he sat out, um, like a bunch of guys that had been there. London Prontis third year as a starter. Like 
adding a bunch of new guys, we haven't really seen that work for them. So I don't know how that's going to work with the portal, but we'll see. Um, you know, there's a lot of talent out there. So if you can find the right guys, you know, they could certainly be really good next year. Yeah, the whole the adding, you know, having Hauser come out and play as well as he did this year. I understand he sat a year, but um, and then have Murphy come out and play as well as he did this year. Even considering, like, we're, we're obviously talking about a lot of you know issues and such. But uh, listen, it, everybody is going to have new pieces, right? Um, I, I think that who who whichever guys end up going, you know, being on the roster again next year, you, you really hope that 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 they really hit it hard with Mike Curtis as as hard as they can. You know, considering the the pandemic, and then that's, you know, that's a that's a fact. You know, we we've talked about it. You know, not just on this pod, but in general, just the, the sort of lack of physicality. That's one of the things that you can address, right? You might not be able to go out and find a dude who knows the pack line and the intricacies of it and such, but you can go out and find a dude who knows how to carry himself, right? Guy who knows how to use his body, a guy who knows, you know, how to get up and down off the floor, right? Like those are things you can you you can inject into your program pretty pretty quickly through this process even though you're you know the competition has never been greater because everybody's going to be buying right um you know year to year season to season like there are some teams that are always buyers because their dudes go pro or those dudes leave um and then there are guys you know teams that are um you know maybe like virginia who who have specific times when they come and they're buyers everybody's going to be a buyer this year so like i'm not saying that like you know get in while the getting's good. I'm just saying like, if you're Virginia, you have a lot to sell and you have a way to really change your program. So I think that for folks who are concerned, this is a clear, this is going, this is going to be how they address it. Like there aren't just like a whole bunch of like 2021s, you know, Trevor Keels, notwithstanding, just hanging out, waiting to decide, right? You might have a handful of dudes who, who, who get released from letters of intent, but realistically it's going to be the transfer market. That's going to be how you address this thing and physicality scoring, all of it, you, you, your, your, your options are there. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, um, you know, what they prioritize as they get into it. <sighs> Anything else for the good of the order guys? I mean, how are we feeling? I feel like we've, we've done a pretty good job of fleshing it out. I just Maybe feel bad that the players didn't get to play at home in front of the fans. Me like, too. Yeah. yeah, that does suck. I mean, especially for Hauser, who, like I told yeah. you guys after the game, I said he was the guy I kind of felt the worst for after the loss. Like, came to UVA, sat out a year to play. Then the pandemic happens. Then, you know, playing in front of no fans, adjusting to the system. Then they finally kind of get it going, and then they lose in the first round after what happened last week. And, yeah, yeah I mean, my, the last thing I have to say is just, like, you know, we sh- everybody should applaud them for all the hard work they had to put in, just like everybody else, you know, in college basketball to get the season done, and especially the week leading up to the tournament. It's kind of crazy that they went on such short notice, and um, it didn't work out, but, I mean, those guys did so much for so long just to have a season, so um, they definitely will be remembered as the, the COVID team. Yeah, and, you know, for me, like, yeah, I mean, all that. And plus, just looking at the tournament in general, um, obviously Virginia fans have had what, one of the last four tournaments in, in the ultimate glory and, you know, two, two of the, you know, one of the last four years. And <laughs> what a, in what a run it's been. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, you know, going out in the first round twice. But, you know, Virginia wasn't the only team that was seated high that got beat this weekend. And honestly, if you got if you legitimately watched any of the first round games, 
I mean, if there, if there, there's one glaring thing that should have been, be apparent to you is that, like, at some point in the next few years, like the idea of it being an upset for a you know lower seeded team to win is not going to be a thing. Um, like the parity, the talent level, even at these 15 seeds, these six, yeah, 16, 16 is an exception. It might be a while before we see one of those. But I mean, Ohio. What are you talking about? Yeah. That's never happened. What do you mean? What are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? But I'm saying, like, you've, even if you watch these 15s, like, they've got dudes, right? And the, with the three point shot, all they need is one dude hot one night. Um, so it, look, it, just like we've talked about many times, like, you can't, you can't um, judge the success of your program by the postseason. That's just not the way it's set up. And I, I think every year, every year going forward until something drastic happens, whether, you know, the NBA stops taking high schoolers or becomes, you know, starts taking high schoolers or whatever, um, we're going to continue to see that. Like, there's some really good teams. And, it, you know, the one thing it got me thinking, I know it sounds like excuse making, right? But, if you've got to kind of sit in your hotel room in Indianapolis, if you're already there or sit in Charlottesville for all these days in quarantine and not be around your teammates. I mean, it makes sense that it's a little easier for the underdog to get up than the, than the favorite um, for the game. I don't think that's what we saw in Virginia's case, but it's just one more factor for an already weird year. So um, I do take solace in the fact that like you can be frustrated with the way this year ended or, you know, the way this team played at Tom's, but you know, if you, if you're a true, you know, if you're, if you're a true Virginia person, if you watch this team, if you look year after year, if there's an issue with the team, as much as we've, we've talked about the recruiting misses, like Tony has always done a good job of addressing the issue of the previous year in the following year or two. So I feel confident we'll see improvements. We won't see like three bigs who can only shoot the three and that kind of thing anymore. Um, it just might take a little longer to get there than we like, given the roster turnover we're about to see. But the next month or two will we'll kind of dictate that. But also, caution any Virginia fan to get super excited about a transfer coming in because, look, <laughs> as I beat the dead horse, um, year one in Virginia system is a little different. Yeah, I think Murphy's the second now player to ever score double digits in his first year in the program. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Gil, Gil obviously had a redshirt year and did well. Yeah, and Hauser, Hauser too. Yeah. To me, I think Hauser probably surpassed Gil as far as performance um, point-wise in his first year in the program. But, yeah, Murphy year one is probably the best outside of Joe Harris. Yeah, it's just pure first year in the program. But, yeah. And also, last thing, um, if you're one of these people out there on Twitter or wherever and you're like, Tony Bennett's not good enough or whatever, you're just you just don't understand – What's that joke from Saturday Night Live? You should, uh, you should eat a bowl of hair because you're a dummy. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. like you just haven't. Maybe you just don't remember what it was like 20 years ago. Like <laughs> that—that's one of the things too. I think that gets lost in this whole like, oh, Tony Bennett system conversation. It's like for us, it's like we've been around. We know what it was like to be bad. They win a lot of games. Like, <laughs> well, it's not just like, that. For, it's it's, like, it's working for UVA fans. <laughs> for well, the and here's part. the thing: is that like last year, like I understand they didn't get to play in the postseason. Okay, fine. But like that team had zero business, and I know they got you know they had some games where they were you know kind of had a little bit of a rabbit's foot and such and such. But like that team had no business winning the games that they won, right? This team, the one that we saw lose in the first round, like there were definitely some times where they probably didn't have any business. Like that, there were there were just some there are just some some very clear indications that like somebody knows what they're doing. Now, 
that doesn't mean that anybody on the coaching staff is perfect. I mean, I think they'll all admit that, you know, and I think we all have, you know, our own little, you know, concerns here and there, like, you know, use the timeout there. You don't use the timeout yeah, here. That kind I don't of thing. think like Saturday's game was like a great, like, like a great. Coach yeah, game. exactly. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't, it's not, it's like, you know, I know I like to bring everything back to LeBron, but it's like, it's not an indictment on Tony Bennett's entire philosophy on life and coaching. Right. If, if their team gets beat, right. Why does that stick to Tony Bennett, but not to like, I don't know. Bill Self, who gets Bob blown. Huggins, you know, like exactly, like it's like, like Bob Huggins is this like cool genius coach, and it's like he's won like, oh, he, like one Final Four, and like he decided to wear years. a mock turtleneck, like oh yeah. great, you know, like oh look, he's in a you know he's but in nobody a, in sits a around and is like I don't know if Bob Huggins like press and and try to get to the basket style works, like people don't have that <laughs> conversation, and the funny yeah. the thing that's annoying is like. We were always like, once they win the title, it'll go away. It'll go away. Won't yeah. be able to say that. Now it's like, now he's got to win two. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Now, how many? Are you not entertained? Yeah, 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 for sure. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's put a pin in it for this week, and we will get back to it um, next week. Hopefully, we'll have some more information, whether it's you know transfer decisions to talk about, whether it's maybe potential transfer additions. You know, maybe we'll have you know um, something on the Trey Murphy potential NBA decision. I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive he's at least going to test the waters. There's really no downside to that. But we will uh, we will no doubt be following it. And, hey, spring football is right around the corner, too. So we, we'll have that to talk about, um, even though, um, you know, we got to wait and see on the spring game side of things. But at least for spring practice, you know, we're not going to get any direct access. We're just going to be going off of interviews and, and video. But a lot to – you know, a lot to process. Uh, I'm kind of excited about watching the tournament in ways that I'm not typically once Virginia loses. Like usually once Virginia loses, I'm just kind of be, I'm kind of glad to be done in a way. Um, but this year is a little different. So I'm actually kind of excited to watch more of it. Um, if you are someone who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen and uh, trying out the show. Um, we've only done 400 of these things. So either we're really good at it or we are really good at com- convincing we're, everybody that we're, we're persistent. Good at it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, if you uh, don't mind, you can look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or, or you know whatever app that you find where podcasts are quote unquote sold. Also, if you're on Apple Podcasts now, you're supposed to apparently hit follow and not subscribe because they thought subscribe meant that you were going to actually spend money. Um, if you would like to spend money though, you can check us out at CapsCorner.com where you can subscribe and you can um, read all sorts of things. I wrote a, a thing the other day about you know sort of setting the scene going into this. Um, we had some pro day updates today. Virginia picked up a football commitment from Trey McDonald, who coincidentally enough is from Wisconsin. Um, so you can check that out. Um, because spring ball is next week, I got to finish that season to review uh, series that I've been uh, very slowly running since the end of uh, end of the actual football season. Um, I've still got um, safeties and defense and excuse me, cornerbacks. I don't know if I'm going to run them as one or I'm going to run them as two. So I guess we'll wait and see. Um, so you can check out all that. And they are uh, those pieces are linked in your podcast app of choice right now. All right. So again, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time as always. I very much appreciate it. Uh, even if Dave hates us for having missed the, um, the uh, Chris Long interview. Um, so for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon. Basketball.